Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Generation Y ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, and social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store, for accepting payments to manage inventory. It has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one true source. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gen Y, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gen Y to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash gen Y. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Audible. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. You got bestsellers, new releases, and mysteries and thrillers. I'm currently listening to A Rip in Heaven by Janine Cummings. It's a true story that happened in April 1991 about some teenagers, family members that were violently attacked. Two would perish, and the one surviving one would end up being accused of the crime. But the reality of what happened is much worse. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. How you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm doing good, Justin, I think. How are you? I'm all right. We may have a meetup coming in St. Louis. We're looking at October 20th in the evening or in the late afternoon. So if you're in the St. Louis area, might want to start paying attention to our social media and to the beginnings of our episodes because we'll be talking about this some more. On our Patreon which is at patreon.com slash generation Y. I recently did an interview with Charlie, who is a member of Insight, but she also has Impact Statement. And I bring this up because I listened to a couple of the episodes last week. And all I can say is you have to listen to this podcast. For anyone who's a true crime fan and pays attention to the crimes, to the criminals, to the victims, this is a podcast that gives a voice to those who are affected by these crimes or by wrongful convictions, you name it, anything true crime that affects real people. And so I would urge all of you to check out impact statement. You know, if you're looking for a recommendation, I would say, check out the episode. It takes a piece of you and it's about domestic violence, which I really feel like the more people that understand how domestic violence happens Uh, the repercussions from it, I think it's better. We need to know more about this. We need to take it seriously. And we need to hear the stories of those people who are affected by it. So definitely check out Impact Statement. 
You can find it virtually anywhere on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, you name it. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, DoorDash. If you're looking to get more from delivery, you can get it with Dash Pass by DoorDash. Plus, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Dash Pass is only $9.99 a month. You get special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, and with Dash Pass, you get $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. I use it all the time. Sometimes I just can't leave the house. I have too much going on. I got to edit. And uh, I'll get my food delivered today. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and more. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash. That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Use code GENY24. That code again, GENY24. Subject to change, terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You know those uh, pictures uh, that go around the true crime communities where it has like the woman that's fallen out of the chair and she has a gun in her hand and it's like, is this a murder or a suicide? And you try to figure it out by just taking in all the evidence on the picture, sort of a puzzle. Well, tonight's case, I think, is very much like one of those pictures. And you have to find the one element of it that will allow you to see it clearly. And then once you find that, all the evidence or all the circumstances that could go one way or another start to fall in line. So what are we talking about tonight, Aaron? Tonight we're talking about a man by the name of Brett Parker. On April 13th, 2012, he called 911. He was very upset. He said that a friend of his, Brian Kappenhurst, had come to his home, killed his wife, meaning Brett Parker's wife, Tammy, and then threatened him because he wanted money from Brett's safe. And then Brett said he had no choice but to shoot Brian in self-defense. So this is in Irmo, South Carolina, uh, April 13th, 2012. You have to have a lot of background on some of the players in this story because why would a friend show up at someone else's house, shoot the wife, and demand money out of the safe? I mean, given if he thinks there's a lot of money in that safe, that's one thing, but it wasn't just that. It was he thought he was owed money. Well, he was owed 21,000 something odd dollars by Brett. So 
why was he owed money? And then we have to get into, we get a motive here. Yes, the Parkers lived in Ascot Estates. That's a very nice neighborhood. And Brett and his wife, Tammy, they were in their 40s. They had two children, Brooke and Zach. In 2012, Brooke was 13, Zach was five. Both Brett and Tammy were considered to be successful people. Tammy sold pharmaceuticals. Her income was in the six-figure range. Brett sold medical supplies. And? And? (laughs) Well, he also was involved in gambling, illegal gambling. He actually was a sports bookie for the small town that they lived in and had up to 15 clients, a dozen or so clients that would place bets and he was the house essentially and would pay out or take their money, right? Yes, and Jack Parker, Brett's dad, he'd been involved in this business for a long time. He had a partner. Well, Brett had a friend named Brian Kapnerhurst and he was kind of like his right-hand man, but he still had to pay him. It had been going on a little while, but... Brian was owed some money from Brett, the $21,000 or so. Well, it was being set up to where Brian thought he was going to get paid finally. And he even called Jack Parker, Brett's dad, and let him know, hey, I'm going to be heading over to Brett's place. I'm hoping to get some money. And Brian was working three jobs. He wasn't doing too well. He was in debt. Brian even said that uh, his wife had been running up credit card debt. So this put added pressure on him, and he really could use that $21,000 that uh, Brett owed him. So Brian's making sure that he can get this money, and uh, he assumes that Brett has a lot of money in his safe. Now, Brian also had some pressure because he and his wife had taken out a loan from her dad which was a little more than that $21,000. It was like 23, 24, something like that. I think there was a little bit of, uh, I guess you could say, he was a little upset with his wife and he didn't really like the situation they were in. So he was having to go to a friend of his and say, hey, I need the money now. But Brett Parker is supposed to be a successful guy. In fact, his wife, you know, she makes more than he does. And they live in a very nice house. So they have money, right? I mean, if if he says, yeah, come on over, I can pay you, then that seems like, well, that makes sense. He could just pay him the money and then maybe Brian can keep his head above water, right? It, it seems a little weird that they're even doing this underground gambling thing because they're so successful with their regular jobs. But greed knows no bounds. And also, I think people get addicted to gambling you know it's like you do it a little bit here and there and then pretty soon you you think you're just going to get the next big score and it doesn't happen but you keep trying because you can't stop yeah oh absolutely i have a couple family members that uh, tell me about dropping thousands of dollars in one night but then they'll turn around and be like oh but i won this other night i'm like i never think it actually balanced out so you can't really tell me you won when you lost so much but no it it absolutely is a addiction it is a rush and this is why uh they're running this underground uh sports gambling thing so april 13th 2012 brooke and zach left for school 
It's about 1230 in the afternoon. Brian Kapnerhurst arrives at the Parker home. Now, as I said, he had called Jack Parker, talked about, yeah, I'm going to go collect this money. According to what we understand, Brett had actually told Brian, hey, bring a duffel bag with you so that you can transport the money. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of money and you don't want to just have you know, a grocery bag or something with it. Although that's totally what I would do. But uh, (laughs) Brian shows up, you see him on the security camera footage, pull into the driveway and get out of his car. You see this duffel bag get thrown over his back and he walks to the house. And uh, from here, all we kind of have is Brett's word now. And all we have is his story. So Brett claims that Brian comes into the house Brett is downstairs on the toilet, going number two. I don't know any other way to put that right now. And uh, Brett goes upstairs um, and is talking to Tammy, Brett's wife. And while he's on the toilet, he hears gunfire. And he jumps off the toilet, runs upstairs. He sees his wife laying in the hallway, like kind of halfway in and out of a room and Brian is there confronting him with a gun. This gun happens to be the same gun that Brett has gifted him a month before for self-defense reasons. And Brian saying, get the money out of the safe. So Brett goes over to his safe and on top of his safe, he has like a small blanket or towel that he has a gun, a revolver, kind of in the folds of this this blanket. And he has this gun to his head, get the money out, and Brett pulls his revolver out, turns around, shoots and kills his friend Brian, then gets on the phone, calls 911, and you see him run out the front of the house on the security camera and collapse in his uh, driveway or whatever while he's talking to 911. Now, when he's on the phone with 911, he's very distraught. He's screaming and yelling. And hey, I guess he sounds believable. He gives the 911 operator all the information he has. He says, I just killed my friend. He shot my wife. And uh, he had the gun that I gave him just a month earlier. So this is pretty open and shut case. You know, the cops show up. They find his wife has been shot with a nine millimeter pistol. That nine millimeter pistol is found in Brian's hand. They find the revolver that uh, Brett used to shoot Brian. Makes sense. Easy case to solve. This is obviously a, a robbery gone wrong or just a really bad business deal that went horribly South. Uh, by the way, uh, whereas It was rumored that they had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the safe. There was only $200 in the safe. So if Brian thought he was getting paid $21,000 plus, that's not going to happen today. Tammy was found in the upstairs office. She had been shot five times, four times in the body, and once in the head. They said that it appeared that she had tried to run when she was shot. Brian Kapnerhurst was found up in the attic of the home. That's where the safe was. He had been shot four times, two to the head and twice to the chest. 
I feel like the attic was finished, though it wasn't like a you know, what I consider or imagine an attic. So it was just the upstairs to me. But yeah. Yeah, I, I think upstairs would be better. Um, it wasn't like there was insulation sticking out everywhere. So this is a self-defense case, at least according to Brett Parker. There are all these questions that law enforcement has. Of course, the first question is, did you and your wife get along? And he says, yes, right? No problems. Yeah, they had recently been on vacation with his mother, with his wife, with the kids. I mean, from all accounts, they were as loving as ever. Yeah, they asked him if uh, he had any affairs or anything. Kind of says no to that initially, but he does pull one of the investigators aside and says, I need to tell you something. I'm running an illegal illegal gambling business out of my house. So this actually puts a little bit of a damper on uh, some of the self-defense claims that one can pull because you have castle doctrine, you have stand your ground, but you can't invoke those when there's a crime happening or it's a criminal business, I guess. You can still use self-defense, but you just can't augment it with these other laws, these other protections that you can get. With the investigators, they believe the story. It's very uh, conceivable. It's very plausible that this is how it went down. Uh, You have one guy that has all the motive in the world. He's owed money. He's in debt. And he thinks Brett has money. He's desperate. Yeah. And he's going to come over and he's going to do what he's got to do. You have the gun in his hand, the nine millimeter pistol that was used to kill Brett's wife. And there's gun residue and whatnot found on his hands. And then you have Brett who says, I was on the toilet downstairs and I ran upstairs and then I was held at gunpoint and then I got my gun and I turned around and shot him. I don't understand what the problem is here. This is a very straightforward self-defense shooting, right? Right. The authorities, though, they really want to tie this up neatly. They conduct more interviews. They talk to Jack Parker. They want to know, hey, we know you talked to Brian. and That was not too long before he showed up over at your son's house. So what did he say to you? Did he sound upset? And he said, no, he sounded like he was upset with his own wife. But other than that, he didn't sound upset. You know, it's, it's really going back to he had a lot of debt and he really needed this money from Brett. And why would you call somebody's father and tell them I'm going over there to collect money and then shoot and kill them or rob them? Like you're kind of telegraphing your whole visit. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. The only problem with that, I, I think, is the fact that Tammy was shot by Brian, according to Brett. And you could imagine maybe tempers flaring between the two men, but why would there be an altercation with Tammy? I mean, he was owed money by Brett, and that's who he was going to talk with. So why would things escalate with Tammy? That is a good question. But the police, they find a duffel bag, and in the duffel bag, they have a box of ammunition. Uh, Its duffel bag is opened, and it's right there on top. They have all this evidence that looks good, looks like it's backing up a story, but why is he downstairs in the bathroom 
during this visit. Hey, sometimes nature calls, you got to go. But he said he was on the toilet. And the first forensics investigator that showed up noticed the toilet seat was up, not down. That kind of gave him a little bit of a red flag. Brett will say that, hey, we have two kids and our son, he just runs into the bathroom and he just goes. So it's just our habit to put the toilet seat up. Hey, I get that. If that's the habit in the house to put the toilet seat up, I'm good with that. But you're on the toilet, you hear gunfire in your home, you're going to flush what you just did and put the toilet seat up and then run upstairs to see what the gunfire is? It's possible, but it seems unlikely. You know, habits can override any kind of urgency you have. I I get it, but that was the first thing that the investigators didn't like what his statements were compared to what they saw in the home. They also didn't like that because of the security footage that came from Brett's own home, that you could see Brian, as you described it, he tossed that bag, you know, over his shoulder. And if he had ammunition in there, you think it would have slid down to the bottom on one end. But when they found the duffel bag, it was nice and neat in the middle. So the duffel bag's laying there, it's open. And the box of ammunition, which is pretty heavy, by the way, it's just lead and brass, is perfectly sitting on the top. If Brian came in and pulled the gun out and put the box there, it's possible, but it seems a little weird to them. They also don't like the fact that uh, the gun that Brett used to kill Brian with is called a judge, and it's a... 410 revolver. This is a huge handgun. I call it a hand cannon myself. It can shoot shotgun shells or slugs. And he shot Brian four out of five times. He, he had one bullet left. And one of those rounds hit Brian in the arm. Happened to be the same arm that he was holding the nine millimeter pistol in. Now, you got to realize that this is a huge shell. This is a huge bullet coming at you. Very powerful bullet. So when it hits Brian in the arm, it does massive damage. Actually breaks his bone. And the forensic pathologist is looking at this and saying, where did you find the 9mm in his hand? He almost had his arm blown off. How is he still holding his gun? Well, I'm sure some people at this point would say, oh, it must have been a death grip. Oh, yeah, that cadaveric spasm. We always got to bring that one in. (laughs) But when the muscles themselves, I mean, and and this autopsy was done the day of the shootings. So it wasn't like this happened weeks later or days later, whatever. No, this happened the same day. They were already getting this information back. Like, no, there's no way he was holding a gun after he was shot in the arm like that. It's impossible. And to put the cadaveric spasm to bed, the first police officers on the scene were able to pull the gun out of his hand, take control of the weapon with ease. He wasn't gripping it the way a death grip goes. None of that happened. It was loose in his hand. So that's the second thing that investigators are looking at and like, eh, I don't know about that. They're very good investigators because once they get these flags, they're not done yet. Because this easily could have been a self-defense case. 
And it was very much looking like that until these clues started popping up. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the day goes longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security system I use and recommend. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. Its advanced technology protects every home, window, and door, while cameras keep watch for suspicious activities 24-7. There's no long-term contract. You'll get the emergency response you need at half the cost of traditional home security at less than a dollar a day. You install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself. I did mine. It was about 20, 25 minutes from start to finish. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can have the professionals do it. Protect your home today. Generation Y listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for fast protect monitoring, just visit simplysafe.com slash GenY. That's simplysafe.com slash GenY. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Daylight savings is starting up for most states. The goal? To give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there's more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, and that's ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash GenY. So here's how it works. You put your job out on ZipRecruiter. They send it out to over 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes and its algorithm to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post to ZipRecruiter get qualified candidates within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash GenY. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash GenY. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The other thing they find is they're looking over the security footage and they just happen to catch sort of like a glint from the blinds. And they're looking at this over and over again and they're thinking, ah, someone's looking through the blinds. Seven minutes before the shootings happen, the front door has a full length blind set on it and it has a little, you know, the little thing that you turn to open the blinds with and they open and then they close. So it just looks like a change in lighting almost, but you can tell that it's the blinds opening. Someone's looking out to see if anyone's arriving and then they close. They're wanting to go check the blinds, but they don't have a warrant yet, and it's been over two weeks since the case or since the event happened. Well, this is playing into a new theory they come up with. If Brian Kapnerhurst was set up, if he was shot, uh, not in self-defense, but it, but for murder, then they're thinking that maybe Brett shot his wife first and then really needed Brian to show up to complete this whole sham. Otherwise, it doesn't work. He needed to look out the blinds to see if Brian was arriving. Huh. I mean, if you're trying to set somebody up for murder, you're probably going to be a little anxious. So the police officers and investigators are continuing to question Brett. He's feeling a little bit of pressure, and uh, this is a small town. People know each other. Brett's dad knows the sheriff, Sheriff Lott. He says, hey, man, I need to talk to the sheriff about this. I need, the, I need to get these cops off my back. So his dad sets up a meet with Brett and Sheriff Lott. 
The sheriff agrees to come to Brett's house, and Brett does a whole walkthrough of exactly what happened, where he was, sitting on the toilet, running upstairs, pulling the gun out, saving the day. And the sheriff hears him out, follows him around. They have a very long conversation about this. And they go downstairs and they sit down at the kitchen table. And I, I'm assuming that, you know, everything's good now. He's told the truth. What does the sheriff say? The sheriff tells Brett, I don't believe you. I'm not buying it. So you back-channel law enforcement to clear your name. You have the sheriff's ear and full attention to give him your entire narrative of how this went down. And the sheriff calls BS on it. That's, that's not going very well for, for Brett here. No, there, there are some things that happen after his meeting with the sheriff. Uh, one of the things he does is he makes a video for his children asking them to support him. He also ends up talking with his dad because of the stuff he's been hearing. It, it's not as though he says he doesn't believe his son but he really wants to grill him and find out for sure what's up. And he talks with his son. He says, hey, don't put your mother and I and your kids through a bunch of you know court stuff. If you did this, own up to it. Don't put, don't put your family through this. And he said, you better tell me, did you do this? And Brett, he said Brett looked him in the eyes and said, I did not do this. So... He's got Jack's support. His dad supports him. But, you know, this isn't this isn't helping Brett because Brett ends up having a panic attack and he goes to the hospital. In the very next day, Sheriff Lott issues that search warrant to go into the house and start collecting evidence because Brett's story to the sheriff was so bad that he used it to get a judge to sign off on a warrant, essentially. But he also issues a warrant for the arrest of Brett Parker. And, well, Brett surrendered himself. Here's where I compare this to one of those pictures where, is this a murder or a suicide or what is this? And so far, you know, I I am buying Brett's story that this is self-defense. But uh, they start testing the house. This is 40 plus days later. They test that front door where the blinds were because they know somebody was at that front door looking out. And they find gunshot residue, or it's called primer residue, on those blinds. Hmm. Why would somebody have shot a gun in the house before Brian got there and then gone and transferred that gunshot residue from their hand to the blinds? Well, and the other scary thing about this is that it means that that nine millimeter was not on Brian when he arrived at the house and it wasn't in his duffel bag. I think is a major factor or the key, the smoking gun, if you will, is this residue found on this blinds. I know with uh, gunshot residue, uh, they can do a, uh, a presumptive test, which is more or less a field test where they can, you know, swab your hand, swab certain things and do it. And then there is the more uh, detailed test that's done back at the lab. So they did find gunshot residue on both Brett and Brian's hands, but then they find it on the blinds. 
before Brian arrives. Now, gunshot residue on your hand only lasts for like a few hours. Uh, Your sweat or just rubbing will make that go away. But if it's on the blinds or your couch or something else that's not perspiring or being, you know, cleaned off, it can last for a long time. So we're looking at weeks later, they can test this and find it. But all of the uh, people that I watched online that were talking about gunshot residue say that it's actually hard to detect. And you have more times that you don't get a, a, a positive test. You get a negative test, even when somebody has shot a gun. So detecting it seems to be harder than not detecting it. There are false positives, but in this case, they're focused on the blinds, figure out, hmm, somebody touched this just before and transferred this. Well, because of all the evidence, Brett Parker is headed to trial. He does have his supporters, he has his parents, and he has his daughter. I just get the feeling that his son was just too young for anybody really, you know, to really ask him what he thought. But his family supports him. Other than that, law enforcement, they think he did it. Not only that, but the sheriff who knew Jack Parker actually called in to the Secret Service about both Jack and Brett to let the Secret Service know that they were running an illegal gambling business. So, so much for being a friend, right? (laughs) What I like about this is the sheriff is a stand-up guy. He's like, you're breaking the law, that's it. I'm calling it in. On May 9th, 2013 is when the trial begins. They have sort of a false start or have trouble getting the trial underway because one alternate juror doesn't show up. Uh, They're having problems with picking jurors. And then one day, two of the jurors pass a note to the judge saying a man was asking them if they were going to be sequestered. And that man happens to be Jack, Brett's dad. So the judge, in in her opening statement, has Jack removed from the courtroom on the grounds of jury tampering. She says, I know you're a witness, so you can come back when you're called to testify. But other than that, you're not coming back in here. Yeah, but Jack doesn't like this at all. What does Jack say, though? When he hears of this, he says he's been had. He said, this is a setup. And all I can think is you were found out, man. (laughs) Like, I don't believe that he was set up because he's already back channeled to the sheriff. And now he's trying to back channel to the jurors. How is this unbelievable? (laughs) Yeah, it totally makes sense that, that it happened that way. And again, it doesn't mean somebody's guilty. It doesn't mean his son did this. It's just looking like really shady behavior. Well, of course, the defense attorney for Brett said that it wasn't Jack Parker that talked to the jurors. It was someone else, and he identified the guy, but unfortunately, no one else seemed interested in that information. When they start bringing up all this evidence in here, uh, we'll, we'll go over that first. I have a real problem with the gunshot residue on the blinds. and. That's where, if I look at all this stuff, it kind of shifts for me. But the defense says, oh, that doesn't even matter. 
they didn't find it until 40 plus days later. And when you're firing a gun off in the house, the central air system will move and disperse these particles around. And I'm thinking, really? (laughs) Are, Are you kidding me? So the whole house is now covered in gunshot residue? Like, let's go test in the kitchen. Let's go test by the fridge and see if we can find it. I would believe a false positive before I'd believe that you can shoot a gun off in your house and your air conditioning unit's going to disperse that everywhere. Because the amount of residue, the amount of uh, powder that, that comes out when you fire a weapon, is not that great. So all the way upstairs in the attic, and it's getting all the way downstairs on the front door, okay, whatever. Well, the defense even tries to say that since there were about 80 police officers that had gone through the house, that they could have dispersed the gunshot residue around as well. They also found a fingerprint, a thumbprint, on that box of ammo in the duffel bag. It belonged to Brett, not Brian. If Brian is the one that's put the gun and the ammo in his duffel bag, he had to handle it. But they cannot find any fingerprints from Brian on this box of ammo. So kind of looks suspicious. You know, that whole pre-trial, what's admissible, what's going to be let in melee that the uh, defense and prosecution do. Well, the prosecution was saying, hey, he said that he was downstairs in the bathroom, but yet we found the toilet seat up. The defense was successful in saying, no, that's not relevant. It should be inadmissible. And they got that thrown out. So the judge did not allow that evidence into the trial. They're doing a good job. I just found that their whole argument against this gunshot residue was a little weak. But during the trial, we will start to find out a lot of things that uh, were going on, especially with this illegal bookie sports gambling business. Everyone had debt. Everyone owed each other money. And we find out that Brett, had a girlfriend that he was seeing on the side, uh, and he had a few other affairs he had had in the past. Not quite the stand-up guy that he said he was. The really interesting part here was when they brought in his accountant, as this man named Staples, and uh, he gets up on the stand and starts giving his testimony, and they ask him, how close were you with Tammy, Brett's wife? And he tells the courtroom that uh, they were very close and that they were having an affair also. So both Brett and his wife were, were seeing other people, and this wasn't a open marriage or anything like that. This was all in secret. So these are just some emotional motivations that uh, the prosecution can bring home. But then we start looking at the finances here and the money motivation of why this might have gone down. I think it's kind of awkward. Uh, Benjamin Staples said that the affair lasted for months, but you kind of have to wonder. It's like they had this affair, but then he continued to be their financial guy after that. So you kind of wonder how much truth there is here. But this all came about because these text messages were found out through the investigation. So they knew something was up there and he's up there testifying against Brett Parker because 
part of their theory involves Brett killing Tammy and Brian as a way to collect this life insurance because he can kill Tammy and he's the guy that will benefit from the life insurance policy. And then Brian has to die so that he can take the rap. Now with the life insurance policy, they, they bring in the guy that actually signed the life insurance policy with Brett uh, and his accountant. Now all the money, which altogether was going to be over a million dollars was going to go to Brett's children. Regardless of where the money's going to, it's in the family, and uh, his children are not of age yet. So even if the money's going to the children, it's going to Brett. (laughs) Well, it's a tricky situation because the way I understand it, Benjamin Staples was trying to talk Brett into signing it over so that it would go into the children's accounts. It would be looked after by Jack Parker. But according to Benjamin, and, you know, are we going to take his word here? He claimed that Brett had a real problem signing that money over. So I think Benjamin's trying to say this guy's greedy. I mean, he did all this to get this money and now he's not going to get it. It's going to go to his children. So this is just adding more fuel to the fire here. This fire of Brett Parker's this awful person. And now you can hate him more because he didn't even want that money to go to his kids. I mean, why did he kill his wife, right? Yeah. Now, Brett had his own gambling problems, and he had over $170,000 in debt, which he might have had that kind of money on his own. But I'm just thinking, you're the bookie. You have all this money in your safe from all these other people placing bets and then all of a sudden, you have $170,000 of your own debt? Sounds like he was pulling from the, the cookie jar himself and spending other people's money on his own gambling addiction. And his father even bailed him out in the past because he had been so much in debt. So it was a pattern. Brett loved gambling, and he had to do it himself, only he wasn't very good at it. I mean, but who is, right? The average person probably doesn't make a killing at this, I wouldn't think. The defense tries to maintain Brett wouldn't have killed his wife because she was the real breadwinner here. But that doesn't make much sense either because if you just have a ton of debt and you're not real fond of your wife anyway and you can get a million dollars or more when she dies, then why does it matter if she's the breadwinner? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? It's it's like a windfall. In Brett's favor... You know, you always wonder if he's having an affair, and in this case, it was an affair with a bank teller at his bank, was he trying to run off with someone else? Well, this woman that he was having, that he was having an affair with, she said there were no plans to run away. They were just having a sexual relationship. It was on the down low, and that's it. There were no plans to take it any further than that. But really, you know, when you go down, and we've said this before, you tick boxes, and you say... How many boxes are ticked in favor of the accused and how many are ticked against him? This is an ugly case. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a lot more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, what would you use it for? Sometimes the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapy has helped me reflect on choices I've made in my life and helps me make better ones in the future. 
If you've been thinking about starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time with no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GenY today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GenY. And again, I don't think just because you're running an illegal business or you're uh, having an affair that that means you killed your wife or that means you are capable of murder or anything like that. I, I truly think that it was a very plausible story that Brian could have shown up and wanted money and started shooting. It makes sense. I mean, we even talked about how he called Jack Parker. That's weird. Why would you call the father of the person you're planning to murder, you know, and let him know you're going over there? Um, I mean, there's security footage. I mean, he would have been seen going there and then leaving. It's bad. I mean, where does he expect to go with his $21,000? Yeah. It's ludicrous. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And But if somebody's desperate, they could go and do these things. But right when you start looking at it all i you know i could buy the self defense story but then as soon as you start adding in all these other elements it's like oh no 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 <laughs> he could he have held on to the gun after being shot at point blank range with a 410 judge revolver now we said that there was gunshot residue on both of their hands so this is a tick mark in favor of Brett. And this is something that the defense really hammers home. They're like, hey, Brian had a gun in his hand. There's gunshot residue on his hand. What's up? This proves that he was the shooter. Well, by just merely putting a freshly shot gun in someone's hand, it can transfer gunshot residue also, shooting somebody at point-blank range with this judge revolver is going to shoot <laughs> uh, gunshot residue onto the person, almost spraying them with it. So it's not that big of a leap in logic to understand how there is gunshot residue on his hand. But then again, we could just take the defense's you know, theory that the air conditioner just moves it all around the house, too. So... How do you want to play that one? Brett had his own bookie. I mean, he was a bookie, but he had his own bookie. That guy was Lonnie Gunter. Well, he was asked about this. Hey, if Brett owes a bunch of money, are you really worried about it? I mean, is Brett good for it? Do you trust Brett? And he said, yeah, I'm not worried about it. And then he was asked, well, you probably just wiped the books, right? If you, I mean, if it was really that desperate of a situation, if you wanted to help Brett out, you could just wipe the books, right? Well... The defense likes to paint this part as, oh, yeah, he would have just wiped the debt. But Lonnie doesn't say that. He says, well, we would have worked something out. Yeah, nobody wipes the debt. Nobody forgets about $170,000. I mean, we've talked about so many murder trials, so many cases, ranging from somebody being murdered for $100 to, you know, huge life insurance policy payouts. And I don't see a bookie just going, oh, yeah, I'm just going to forget about that. <laughs> yeah. 
The trial lasted three weeks. The jury deliberates for three hours, which I think is not a good sign for the accused when they uh, do that. But who knows? You can interpret that however you will. How do they find him? Well, the jury finds him guilty of the murders of Tammy Parker and Brian Kapnerhurst. And of course, Brett's family is devastated. The judge, though, sentences him to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, which is a pretty bold statement. It's, you don't belong outside of the prison system. If this is all that happened, then this is not just premeditated. This is so planned out. And uh, between the the defense and his dad saying, no, we believe him, uh, he would never lie about this, or this would take a genius to come up with this plan, or, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead and laugh. Because uh, <laughs> I don't think this is a genius plan at all. I think it actually was a terrible plan. Obviously, the defense is not pleased, and the prosecution is very happy about this. Tammy and Brian's family are very happy with the outcome. Uh, I don't know if it was just the editing I saw, but I've watched a lot of TV shows on this and interviews with the jurors, with the family members. A lot of the jury didn't like the way Brett came off. (laughs) They just didn't like his personality. He actually went on the stand and testified in his own defense. And when he was cross-examined by the prosecutor, he got really irate and combative. And that didn't play well with the jury. Now, the jury, I'm hoping, weighed out the evidence and made their decision on that. But in the interviews, talking about evidence isn't sexy, but talking about how they felt about somebody and how they saw murder in his eyes is always what's put out on the TV. So that's kind of the reason why one of the jurors said that they found him guilty is they just didn't believe him and they didn't like the way he behaved with the prosecution. So take heed if you're on the stand defending yourself and the prosecutor's uh, railing you. Be nice, because some jurors might just find you guilty on being a jerk. Uh, (laughs) But I think there was enough evidence that was not in his favor. Yeah, I don't really understand the defense's position here. They knew the risks of putting Brett on the stand, but they did it anyway. And according to them, this is just what happens in South Carolina. If you want to prove your case, you have to put your guy on the stand because if the jury doesn't hear you say, I didn't do this, then they didn't hear from you. And I think they're trying to insinuate that there's a lack of trust there now. So they really felt like, hey, we don't know how he's going to come off, but we got to put him up there so he can actually say that. But yeah, then you get cross-examined and this prosecution was no joke. They did a great job here. I just assume if you knew that he already talked to the sheriff who didn't believe him and actually started issuing warrants for his arrest after that conversation, maybe you shouldn't put the guy on the stand because he's not going to come off that well. But Well, and they make it seem like they really genuinely believed he didn't do this. I mean, I can see how maybe the family doesn't believe he did it, but that's because I don't think they really faced the evidence. I mean, I don't know how you could look at this guy and look at all the evidence and say, eh, he wouldn't have done this. I think he has more than enough motivation. See, that was really that trial. The defense tried to boil it down to, yes, he had debt, but they also made a lot of money. 
And so the debt you're talking about isn't the kind of crippling debt where he would be desperate enough to try and get away with murder and to try and get this life insurance of over a million dollars. But again, I think there's greed here and that supersedes whatever someone on the outside is seeing. This is an internal greed thing where he, he sees that million dollars and he wants it. And if somebody has a extreme gambling addiction, they can be impulsive and a little reckless. I think of, I'm not going to say just because you gamble makes you a murderer. That's not what I'm saying. But that whole impulsive behavior can be applied in other ways. Yeah, especially when you have the wrong person involved. He gets sentenced and put away, but the Secret Service and Fed come down hard on uh, a lot of the other members of the family and business partners, and they take them to trial for this illegal gambling uh, business they were running. That's interesting because they feel like not everyone was caught in the net of the Secret Service or the law because I guess Staples, their bookie, he's not really caught in that net. He sort of gets to slide out the back door, even though he was kind of the guy that was keeping all the, all the numbers together. Jack and Brett Parker and Jack's business associate, Douglas Taylor, went to trial for two days and they were all found guilty. We could talk about sentencing and everything else, but really this is kind of a moot point because their sentence would be overturned. Because of that, they went back to trial. Um, one strange thing is the first time they were found guilty on this illegal gambling business, Brett was asking for a lenient sentence for his father because, well, his kids were living with his parents. So he didn't want his dad not to be there. Brett filed for an appeal of the murder charges. Again, he maintains his innocence, but a three-judge panel of the South Carolina Court of Appeals unanimously upheld the earlier conviction. This was expected. I know that Brett's family and children are very much in support of him, and uh, I there's one interview with his daughter where she says that she has evidence that proves he's innocent. I don't know what she has, but it obviously wasn't given to his legal defense and used during this appeal process, so I don't know what good it does. What I read was she said the fact that her dad gave that nine millimeter gun, you know, a week, a month, I forget what it was, but gave it to Brian in advance, uh, meant that Brian had it in his possession. It could not have been in Brett's possession. So she's trying to say that proves that Brian brought that gun to the house and had used it to kill Tammy and then had threatened to use it against Brett, her father. I've actually given a friend a gun, gifted it to him, and I had it at my house for months before I actually gave it to him. And then even he gave it back to me once because he was going on vacation. The gun was in play. It was changing hands. Also, during that 911 call, Brett feels the need to say to the 911 operator, I gave him that gun just a month ago. Why did he feel the need to give that detail that he gave this guy this gun that was used in the murder a month before? It's not relevant in the call. But again, it's one of those 
Are you giving too many details or not enough details? Earlier, you had said that you felt like maybe Benjamin Staples wasn't caught up in the net. Um, Actually, he was kind of caught up in a net because the Securities and Exchange Commission um, had a civil lawsuit against Benjamin Staples. According to them, it seemed as though Staples had set up an unlawful scheme to collect money from the deaths of terminally ill people. So what he would do is he would have them sign over sign over assets to him and they would control them. And then it would be like, well, we'll sell off these assets and then they would collect a portion. But what would really happen is they would collect the bulk of everything. Screw the families out of all this inheritance and money. Yeah, there there were uh, more than 30 people affected by this. They could have easily gone to trial. Some say that it could have been a 15 plus million dollars that the government could have won at trial because they had a lot of evidence. Benjamin Staples maintains that he wasn't doing anything wrong, but he did settle and he ended up having to pay. It ended up being over $58,000. It sounds like a disgusting scheme to me. And if it's, if the allegations are true, they had recruited about 44 different terminally ill people into this program they created And they purchased $26.5 million in bonds from 35 different issuers. And so these people that were on their way out would sign three different documents. One was an application to open a joint brokerage account with them. Another was a participant letter. And another was an estate assistance agreement. So where this all goes wrong, he says that they're not doing anything wrong because they're not the owners. They're just partners and their, their partner has dropped out. And so they're the ones left. And so they can get the money. But because these assets were signed over, these, these bonds come into their possession, they're the owners. And that's where the illegality of it comes in. So it's kind of a tricky legal case, but all you'd really need to know is it seems very, very scammy. If that's such a word, (laughs) I mean, really in this case, It seems like everybody's hands are dirty. They get sentenced in the gambling operation. Douglas Taylor will get sentenced to three years probation plus eight months of uh, house arrest. Jack will get five months in federal prison, uh, three years probation, and then house arrest. Then, insult to injury for Brett, he gets sentenced to two years in federal prison, but he'll only spend two years in federal prison if he's ever released for these two murders, which probably isn't going to happen. Yeah, really. I mean, Brett Parker, yeah, this is a way to say if somehow you wheeze a lot of these convictions for murder, then you'll go back to prison on this illegal gambling charge. Um, The reason why I wanted to cover this case is ever since I saw a documentary on it, I thought it was very chilling when the blinds moved. And I know the the defense tries to discount it, but it's a frightening thing to know that this guy had set this up where he was going to murder his wife and then have his best friend come over to the house and paint him in this light of a desperate man needing his money, murder him in cold blood, and then make it look like he had killed Tammy. I mean, I know we, we cover murder cases all the time where people do this stuff, but... The guy had security cameras 
on his home and really thought that he was smart enough to pull this thing off without anybody figuring it out. I think these security cameras showed that he was looking for Brian, that he wanted to know that he was coming to the house. Because you can set up, hey, come on over to my house at 1230, 1 o'clock, whatever it is. But sometimes people don't show up. If your dead wife is upstairs and your friend showing up is pivotal to your story, I'm, I'm sure you'd be a little anxious. Yeah, he can't afford to have Brian show up hours later, right? Because then when they check time of death, Tammy will be pretty far out from where Brian is. So he needs the deaths to happen within a relatively short time of one another. And so because of the gunshot residue being on the blinds, that meant that he shot Tammy and then went to go check for Brian because he wanted to murder her pretty close to when Brian was showing up. He wanted to do it separately so he could control the victims in this case. And furthermore, this is more evidence that Brett Parker was a desperate man and that he was continuing to gamble. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Generation Y podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart, or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.